Branding Badass, and welcome to Season 2 of Branding Matters. My guest today is Alan Adamson, a world-renowned brand guru and sought-after industry commentator. Alan has appeared on NBC's Today Show, CNBC's Squawk Box, and Fox Business Network. And he's often quoted in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Advertising Age, USA Today, the Washington Post, and Forbes, for which he also writes a column on brand strategy. Alan is also the co-founder and managing partner at Metaforce, a marketing and product consultancy which takes a multidisciplinary, channel-agnostic approach to marketing challenges. He's also written several books, including Brand Simple, Brand Digital, and The Edge, 50 Tips from Brands That Lead. And his latest book, Shift Ahead, uses fascinating first-hand accounts and detailed case studies to explain how the best organizations recognize when it's time to change direction and how they pull it off while bolstering their brands. I invited Alan to be a guest on my show to talk about how brands deal with change. I wanted to learn what it means to shift ahead, and I was curious to get his point of view on how the pandemic has changed the way businesses compete. Alan, I'm so thrilled to have you with us today. Welcome to Branding Matters. Thanks for inviting me. It's fun to be here. Glad that you're here. Thank you so much. So I want to start off with a quote from Dickens, because I think it's very apropos for what's going on today. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And when I think about that quote, and I think about what's going on in the world today, I think it really is relevant, because there's no denying that it has been the worst of times for many, if not most people around the world. But... We also have to acknowledge that it also has been the best for times for some companies as well. You know, during COVID, I have customers specifically that have really thrived during COVID as far as business goes, especially those clients that have really pivoted quickly. I know that's the word du jour these days. What brands do you think got it right as far as pivoting and which ones do you think missed the mark? Yeah, well, I'll start off by throwing another quote back at you. Adversity is a mother of invention. You know, people tend not to change unless they have to. And this disruption caused a lot of businesses to change. I think the companies that got it right were the ones that were forced to change and reimagine themselves, where a whole bunch of other businesses didn't change. Maybe if you're in the Zoom business, <laughs> if you're at the Zoom company, you had a capacity issue. But fundamentally, you know, your business didn't change. It just got bigger. But a whole bunch of other businesses needed to reinvent themselves. And one's going to see the most change in the category that sees the most change is to some extent the food business, because it was a period of time that you were not running to restaurants all the time. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you were eating more at home and takeout became a bigger thing beyond just what you can get from the Chinese place on the corner of the pizza place. You know, Walmart has put in this ghost kitchen. Ghost Kitchen is a Canadian company. And instead of going to a fast food place and getting either hamburgers or pizza, this ghost kitchen inside of Walmart has 12 major restaurant brands. You you can choose from at the menu. So instead of just going to Walmart to pick up paper towels, which you of course didn't do in the pandemic that to ship it to you, you can order in from not just your traditional fast food places, but from restaurants that you ordinarily would never be able to order in from, through this concept called the ghost kitchen, which is growing like crazy now, even as the pandemic starts to ease back a bit, at least in parts of the world. I think the businesses that have struggled to reinvent themselves to some extent are the more difficult ones. I don't think business conferences. I don't think Vegas is going to have 10,000 people coming to whatever it is to CES just to walk the floor again. Certainly people be returning to that one day. 
but it will be augmented with a virtual component for those people that don't want to fly for one day to walk through a show for two hours or hear one speaker at an event. So I do think some businesses are in the process of figuring out how they can adapt and how they can reinvent themselves. To some extent, it ties into you know my last book, which was Shift Ahead, talked about why it's so hard for companies to change. And part of that is it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks. And you know if your business is going well and things are great, you know there's not a pressure to reinvent yourself, which is why I start with that quote, is that companies have to reimagine what they do, usually when things go bad. When things are going great, the idea, oh, let's do what we did yesterday. It works so well. <laughs> let's do it again. Brands and companies get caught in that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And huge disruption like COVID causes that formula not to work and they have to go to plan B. And some companies are good at going plan B and other companies can't do it. So why do you think some companies struggle? What do you think it is? You know, I mean, you talk about change being something that everybody's so afraid of. Why are some able to adapt better than others? It's usually not one reason. When I was in brand management, a lot of my activity was optimizing the product, making the advertising a little better, changing the formula a little better. It was a optimization game. So most companies are in the, how do you do it cheaper, faster, slightly better, now with more whipped cream on top. So most companies are in the incrementalism optimization game. They're not in the, we have a blank sheet of paper, what do we do game? The people that are there tend to be very good at following what's done before, but not good at saying, oh my goodness, what do we do? You can't generalize, but getting them to get into the Houston, we have a problem mode <laughs> is what COVID did. And some companies are better than figuring out how to get the astronauts back when the rocket fails than other companies are doing. Hmm. Do you think it has to do with how long a company's been around? Like, do you think younger companies are more nimble and able to switch on a dime versus the older companies? Do you think that has anything to do with it? I, I think part of it is in very established businesses where innovation doesn't matter and it just matters to do it really well. And this is how we run the airline. And, you know, the planes come and go, and this is our schedule. There's certain industries that have been operating unchanged for years. Grocery stores. Fundamentally, you look at that segment. It's a big store, lots of stuff on shelf. People go up and down the aisles once a week. You make a list. That hasn't changed in generations. Now, all of a sudden, that business is changing. There were delivery services beforehand. But now, the number of people that are probably buying everything at the corner market and loading it in the wagon and taking it home is strong dramatically and is never coming back. The other thing that happens a lot that we find there's analysis paralysis. When you don't know what to do and you look down the road and it's not clear if you should turn right or left, because you know it's very clear when you're running your business or a grocery store, what you do every week, you put the melons in front and you move. You know, it was a set formula and you knew how to play that game. But once it's not working anymore, you're looking at two choices and both are risky. There's no obvious good way or bad way. I spoke many years ago to the folks who were trying to help Toys R Us, which is a brand that disappeared. And they, they knew their business was shrinking. You know, they saw it every day. And one road to the left said, let's become a high-end boutique toy store. You can go in and there'll be people there to help you find the right toy and their educational toy and you could curate the thing and it would be like a great experience. And the other option was let's really compete with Amazon and beat them on price and do a Costco. And both were viable options, but management stared at that forever because it could argue both ways. There was no perfect left turn or right turn. And both required money, both required change. And so oftentimes when you're forced to change, which way to go is not clear. And most companies are risk averse. And so what happened with COVID is a whole bunch of them were thrown into the deep end without knowing how to swim. And that's why we have the disruption. But it's been going on for years. When you're faced with a business that's no longer viable, it's really not that easy to say, oh, all we need to do is, you know, at home delivery and we're fine. 
Most of the companies that are struggling, they're struggling because there is no easy answer and figuring that out often takes time. And if your business is going straight down to zero, you know, the last thing you have is time. And then the other thing that's happening when your business is going straight down to zero, there's no money. Yeah. (laughs) So you're trying to cut costs faster than you're losing money. That's why most companies, once they get into trouble, once the sales start falling, they can't get out of it because they've been asleep at the wheel so long and they're just cutting costs and they have no more time. They have to do something tomorrow. Everyone thinks, oh, new ideas just happen, but it takes a long time. You have to have a couple of iterations to make it work. You know, it's funny when you say before COVID, big brand that comes to mind for me is Blockbuster. Right. There was a perfect example of how things were changing and they just weren't they didn't have the foresight because hindsight's 2020. Right. You can look back and say easy on Monday morning to say you should have, could have, would have. Right. They should have been the Netflix brand. But the Netflix folks saw down the road further and they didn't also have the other problem, which is this other thing that it's a golden handcuffs, I call it. You know, Blockbuster had all these stores. They had all this real estate. So their headset was not how do we reinvent getting people movies? Their headset was, oh, my God, I got to fill up those stores. What do we do to get people in the stores? Let's give them some popcorn. Let's advertise more. Once you own an asset, you're looking at every solution through that asset, whereas Netflix didn't own retail stores. So they were able to start from a cleaner space. But I think they've also done a great job of reinventing themselves again. The reinventing they're doing is they realize people are changing how they watch television. People are binging. And when you're binging, you don't want 30 episodes to binge. You want five good hours. So they're creating content that is perfect for the new way media is consumed, which is not once a week, 30 minutes for 30 weeks or 26 weeks, whatever the traditional network thing. But how do you create content that is more than an hour or more than a short snack, but not so overwhelming that the binge is like running a marathon? And that's why you've got the Queen's Gambit and all the streaming companies, Apple with Ted Lasso. I've realized there's a new way to consume media and we need to package content up in a different way. So it's another shift about to happen. Well, I think it's tapping into your market and tapping into what, you know, people necessarily don't know they need that. I don't think people knew they needed Netflix until Netflix came around and then they realized right. how great it was. Right. I mean, the, the, the insight was there. You could yeah. interview Blockbuster users and they would talk about how they got to the store at 5.30 on a Saturday and they wanted to see blank, blank film and it was gone. So they ended up taking a film they didn't want to see. And the customer problem was there, but their business model, which is have a couple movies in a couple of thousand stores, didn't permit them to change it. It'll be interesting to see, which I don't know, is what will happen to movie theaters. You know, there's a business that can't just reopen. There'll be some of it for the big movies, but just more popcorn, better popcorn, a little bit more reclining in the seat probably is not enough to counter Apple TV Netflix and Disney and large screen surround sound systems that people spent a fortune on during COVID. No, I totally agree. It's funny. My boyfriend and I talk about that. We're always like, I have no desire to go to movie theater again. They're going to have to do something more than just say there's a nice movie and sound is good. And, you know, we'll help you get the bubble gum off the seat. Exactly. So I'm going to quote you here. I've heard you say change is a constant and the pace of change is accelerating. As the world continues to change what we've been talking about at an extremely accelerated rate, obviously, what are some things you think businesses can do to stay relevant as things change so rapidly? If you wait for the sky to fall, a disruption or your sales to drop, if you treat innovation like, well, we'll deal with it tomorrow, things are good today, you're already in the end zone. You're already in trouble because if you wait that long, you won't have the money, the time, time meaning not only to figure it out, but to iterate and get it right. Lots of people have the same idea at the same time. You know, the iPad was not the first tablet out there, but the iPad got it right. And success in business is about not necessarily having the best idea, 
but executing the best idea. And so if you wait too long, you won't have the chance to do it. Another quote by the former chairman of Intel, Andy Grove, said, you know, only the paranoid survive. And so if you have a company that is constantly worried about oh my God, will anyone buy the products tomorrow? You have a better shot at reinventing yourself. So one of the jokes I used to have in my company, we'd say, let's schedule a new products meeting or a new services meeting next Thursday at four. Everyone come to that meeting. And sure enough, the only meeting that ever got canceled was that Thursday meeting because there was always a current fire. If your head's head is, we will worry about tomorrow's business on Thursday at four o'clock, that's another red flag. So Step one is to do it every day. Step two is to realize that it's not about, ah, great idea. It's about having the time and money to optimize it and to get it right. Can you elaborate on that? Lots of things have to come together, this idea of convergence, to get you to try something new. Look at your online dating. There have been a lot of attempts at Match.com, Hinge. You know, there were lots of people had the same idea, but getting that exactly right, figuring out how you get the right people online, how do you get them to talk to each other? How do you get them? You know, getting that to happen was not about, say, I have this idea. It was about optimizing lots of things about it. And if you listen to uh, one of my favorite uh, competitive podcasts is How I Built This. (laughs) You mean your other other favorite podcast. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, How I Built This, it's an NPR thing. You hear entrepreneurs talk about how close they came to almost not making it. Peloton almost didn't make it. They just had to get the bike exactly right. The videos had to be right. The instructors had to be right. It was never just, oh, people would want to have on-demand spin classes, so let's just send them a bike and duct tape their iPad to the front of it, (laughs) and that's all they need to do. It's interesting. So what I'm hearing, in a sense, is be first to market. But I want to challenge you on that for a second here, because I've also read about the idea of maybe not necessarily being first to market. And um, an example that comes to mind for me is MySpace. MySpace launched, and it did okay, but it was missing some things. And you know, I think Facebook saw what they did wrong and then launch Facebook. I think you're right. I think we're saying the same thing from two different angles. You need to leave a lot of time to do it because just because you say, let's do an online social network doesn't mean you'll do it as well as Facebook. And Facebook succeeded because it got a lot of things right. MySpace came before Facebook. Yeah, but they didn't iterate. Facebook looked at it and say, what's wrong with MySpace? How can I do that better? And part of it is there is a piece of timing on it. First movers don't always win. People who do it right win. And if that's, you're the first mover or the last mover, when it snaps together like two Lego blocks clicking together, it's a game of inches. It's not about, oh, let's do this big idea. So it does matter. I do think starting early gives you the better chance. That doesn't mean you go out with the first thing if you don't change it. And two, I think it's having a bit of that paranoia. If you hear the Hinge story, which is another online dating thing, he struggled for five years until he figured out how to do it right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how businesses go. And what I'm taking from what you're saying is instead of being reactive, be proactive, right? So don't be say that. Right. And I think that's really true in business in general. I mean, right. it's know. hard to do. Easier said than done. The other big thing, which is why it's hard to innovate for us, is most companies are playing tennis and not golf. And what I mean by that is when I was at Unilever, we were just totally focused on what Procter was doing. That's what the conversation in the cafeteria was. We were just laser focused on trying to beat Procter and Colgate. When I worked with Pepsi, they were just focused on Coke. And most businesses, when they're thinking of how to grow, the thing that they're looking at is the podcast right next door. <laughs> you know, how do we beat those podcasts? And disruption, as you know, doesn't necessarily come from right in front of your nose. If you're playing golf, yeah, you're watching your partner or your opponent, but you're more also focused on the wind, the land, the course, and how you hit the ball 
you're not just totally focused on your competition. And so if you're going to be successful besides constantly innovating, also don't just look laser just at the person right like you and say, well, how do I beat them? Because if you're going to change, you need to have some peripheral vision. Gillette did not get disrupted by Schick. They got disrupted by Dollar Shave Club. As you look at most categories where the change really happens, is usually not right in front of your nose. So that means you have to zoom out a bit. If you're in the golf club business, you can't just read golf today and club today. You've got to look out at other sports. You've got to look at other entertainment. You've got to see your business in a broader context. And that's also hard to do because when you're very focused on just delivering the best golf club, that's your world. When you started your podcast, you know, it's not like you've been in the podcast. Business oh my God, years. it's nothing. Ignorance is bliss because if I knew before I started, I don't know if I would have jumped in, but not knowing anything and jumping in, it's just been, yeah, it's crazy. Right, you, you're just not so set in your ways. You look at everything with what I call fresh eyes. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about sports here because I saw an interview recently where you were talking about the Washington football team, formerly Washington Redskins. I read that their new new name is going to be launching and I want to know if you know what it is. (laughs) Well, uh, it's a pretty unusual case where you have a sports brand, which are hard to change because they're called what I call badge brand. When people go to a sporting game, they don't just go there. They, they, They are the brand. They wear the sweatshirt. They become... Paint their face, everything. A patriot. And so there's a deep emotional connection to that. The Washington team had a challenge where they were forced through some disruption. The world changed. Rules changed to need to change their name. And they were taking a fair amount of time to do it. And a sports publication said, why is it taking them so long to do it? And they said, would you help us rename the Redskins if you were going to do it and your team uh, rename it? So we simulated that process. We worked with Martin Tipping, who's been on your show before. Oh, uh, right. oh okay. You know, and he generated some names. And we went through the process to show, because their fans were saying, why is he taking so long? Why don't you just call them the senators? Or why don't you just call them the you know representatives? Everyone thinks they can do naming. Martin probably shared with you on, on that episode. Yeah. And so the fans were saying, why is it taking so long? It's taking so long because it's really hard to do. But one of the strategies that you would follow when you follow in that thing is to say, what are some things that are already real? What are some parts of the DNA that we can maybe build off as opposed to saying, here's our new name. It's space flying saucers. And it's really cool because it has to connect to something that real that you put a spotlight on to try to bring forth. So we went through that process. The most difficult assignment because it's like getting somebody needing to throw out every sweatshirt in their closet and say, all of a sudden, I'm not going to wear that anymore. So it's an example of how hard it is to change a brand when that brand is a badge brand. So we went through that process because naming is just one branding element, but it's a particularly hard one to do. And we came up with a couple of names that are pretty close to some of the names that are reported to be their finalists. What makes it hard is you can't do a piece of research and say, let's ask 10,000 fans what they want. Because if you have three names, you're going to get 33, 33, and 33. And usually the one that people glom onto initially is not necessarily the best. It has to match what you want your story to be. There has to be a story. And ideally, the story is not, well, we named it because there's a bridge, so we took its name. So I think calling it the Washington Football Club. FCB. To be part of a club is inclusive and it's used in, of course, the Premier League. The only thing that I I think the lesson learned there is that the bigger the brand, the more emotionally attached your users are to it, the harder it is to change in any way. And probably the hardest part of it might be the name. Yeah. No matter what you do in marketing today, which is the other thing that's changed, is no matter what you do because of social media, you're going to have half the country or half your audience or half your customers. Love it and hate it. (laughs) Hate it, right. And the ones that hate it tend to scream louder on social media. You just better be ready for a bumpy takeoff no matter what you do in marketing. 
yeah. and any rebranding. So before we go, we touched briefly on your book, Shifting Ahead. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's about? It's about why it's so hard to do. Every, you know, everyone says, oh, well, I'm constantly reinventing my business. We always talk to customers. We always keep up and we're always changing. But when we looked at it, most companies fail at it. Radio Shack did not come back. Kodak did not come back. Sears did not come. You, know, you can go down the list of the number of companies that used to be great that should have been here today. And so there's a, such a litany of brands that were usually successful one day and then gone tomorrow. Is it why is that? And what we found was it's not just one thing. It's not like they didn't read a marketing book or didn't listen to your podcast or, you know, it's usually a combination of lots of things. But the most important ones were seeing the change potentially happening far enough in advance that you can get in the shape and react to it. And most of those companies tend to just cost cut and they try to cost reduce their way to profitability trying to invest in businesses, but it's, it's hard. So why shift ahead? Like, uh, because shift how do you shift a company ahead? Most companies always want to stay ahead and shift their business ahead, but it's really hard. And this book helps you understand how daunting and challenging it is. If you're going to run a marathon, you better run a few miles every day before you run the marathon. And shifting your business ahead is like running a marathon. Mm-hmm. Most people only decide, well, maybe I have to run today because business is bad. Well, I think that's a book that a lot of people could probably learn from, especially today with all the change that's been going on and continue to go. So thank you so much. And it's available, I'm assuming, on Amazon. And Yeah, of course, on Amazon. And if you can find a bookstore in business, it might be there. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Alan. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. If people want to learn more about you or what you do, where's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, something called Google or it's Alan at Metaphors. Yeah, alan at metaphors.com. You talk about Google and you talk about a brand. I mean, you know a brand is successful when it turns into a verb, right? Yeah, exactly. They own the category and there are a lot of brands that uh, have successfully done it. Zoom, right. Zoom is on the way to do that. Yeah, right. All right. Well, thank you again. It was a really pleasure chatting with you and we'll talk again soon. Take care. All right. Bye. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. But most of all, I hope you had some fun. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about me and what I do to help my clients with their branding, feel free to reach out to me on any of the social channels under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson. Also me. So thanks again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there.